0: Hi everyone. I'm Michaela. I'm Cecilia. I'm Nitra. And And welcome welcome to MedLegs. Finding your footing as a first-generation and/or low-income student in medicine.
1: Today, we're excited to talk about the nerve-wracking but exciting
0: next step of the application process, interview day. Getting an interview means that your application stood out to admissions committees and they're interested in learning more about you. This is your time to shine, but it's also your chance to understand more about the schools you applied to and find a school that's a good fit for you.
1: We know things are a little different now with COVID-19, but interview day is often the first time you get to see the campus, meet potential future classmates and faculty, see the city you'd be moving to, and where you'd actually spend your time if you end up matriculating at that school. To help you get ready for interview season, we have two special guests
2: with us today, Cheyenne Williams and Michael Perez. Cheyenne and Michael are both students at the Perlman School of Medicine, and they were instrumental in forming our Med FGLI student group formerly known as Lift Us Up. That being said, they're both very
0: familiar with administration at Penn and passionate about the recruitment of FGLI individuals into the medical field. They've both been integral in our own medical school experiences as FGLI individuals. So we're very excited to have them here with us today. So without further ado, how are you two? Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Doing well, thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, I'm really excited to share my experiences. Awesome. Thanks
0: so much again. And so I guess our first question really for all of our listeners is just to have you guys introduce yourselves. So that's like your name, your year in medical school, how you identify within the first generation and or low income identity, and just your general involvement at Penn. And then if you'd like a fun fact at the end.
3: I'm Cheyenne Williams. I'm the same year as Michael, rising fourth year, but I'm going to be taking a year out to do research. And I identify as FGLI uh, based on my experience of being the first in my family to obtain a college degree um, or pursue any professional school. Um, And then I uh, grew up in an area outside of Washington, D.C., which um, is slightly lower income um, in the sense that my high school is a Title I school and there was a significant portion of students below the. poverty line, qualifying for free and reduced lunch. Um, so that was kind of my environment growing up. And furthermore, I was raised by a single mom. So uh, was in a single family income household growing up. And so when I got to Penn, I um, was coming from a public college that I went to largely based on financial reasons. So I was really struck by sort of the uh, income inequality uh, among students there and was really struck by our class composition of being mostly graduates from Ivy League institutions with parents with doctoral degrees and uh, became really passionate about trying to increase representation of students who have backgrounds like mine. Um, In kind of having the shared experience with a select few other students in my class, because there were only like five or six of us, we got together to make uh, the first generation low income affinity group lift us up. Um, And that's how I met Michael and started working on these initiatives for first-gen students. Other things I've been involved with are um, working a lot with recruitment. Um, I was the chair of recruitment for the Students National Medical Association, which is the uh, Black Medical Student Group. And I've also done a lot of work with interviewing applicants um, and planning second look events and interview days. So uh, just really passionate about increasing the faces of first-gen people um, in the admissions process. And uh, I guess a fun fact is I can solve a Rubik's Cube.
0: Oh, wow,
3: I'm jealous. I could only do one side. <laughs> I could do like two-thirds of it and then I forgot the pattern. So. Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that in high school. I was clearly, you know, not the most popular kid. <laughs>
4: Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Michael Perez. I'm a fourth year, rising fourth year, I guess, um, at the University of Pennsylvania, just like Cheyenne. And um, I identify as first gen. My parents did not go to college. um, And I also identify as low income. Uh, We're kind of getting by um, okay for what was a big city, uh, which is home, Miami. And uh, once the recession hit, we you know we quickly realized um, how low-income we were and how we were barely making it by um, and how difficult it was for us to get out of the recession. So definitely identify as first-gen and low-income. But since uh, coming to medical school, I actually uh, did go to undergrad in Miami, which is at Florida International University, and then came here straight through and uh, been mostly involved with the Latino Medical Student Association, serving as their co-chair and involved in a lot of the programming um, and recruitment and uh, advancement initiatives just like Cheyenne, um, doing a lot of work to kind of make applicants feel welcome to here when visiting and also sometimes uh, mentoring students um, at the undergrad campus or um, who would come to a program here that we'd host to kind of provide them more information about getting into medical school. Just like Shannon had already mentioned, we got involved in this first-gen low-income group actually through conversations, having have haphazardly found each other um, and kind of sharing some of the same experiences about um, how lonely it could be being first-gen low-income in a, a medical school. And um, out of that, I was kind of born this group. And ever since then, you know, we've really enjoyed this close friendship and support system that we've built for each other and for our other uh, peers. And I guess a a fun fact um, for me is that I am a huge ice cream connoisseur and love to try like all different types of ice creams or different brands. I guess other than that, I'll be applying it to neurology this upcoming fall, but that is not a fun fact, I realize.
1: Michael, that's so exciting. Do you have a favorite ice cream flavor?
4: I am loyal to cookies and cream. I think it is always by far the best choice you can make. And then I think if I had to choose a least favorite, I would choose pistachio. Uh, No offense to the pistachio lovers out there.
1: Oh, no, you're disappointing Cecilia. (laughs) At least you didn't disappoint Michaela.
2: Yeah, I'm just happy you didn't say chocolate. (laughs) I really identify with what you said, Cheyenne, about coming from a college that's not one of the Ivy Leagues because I'm from Haverford, which is a small liberal arts college. So I really resonate with that statement. And so I was wondering, you said your background um, made you really passionate about admissions work and getting more students from similar backgrounds as you into medical school. So is that um, how you got involved in the admissions work that you're currently doing now?
3: Yeah. So partially realizing that there weren't that many of us and that there needs to be more of us um, just from an educational equity standpoint, but also from the standpoint of working in clinically in Philadelphia, which um, is a uh, pretty improp- impoverished city and working with populations who um, by no means are from similar socioeconomic status of providers has really uh, motivated me to increase the amount of people who are becoming doctors from those same backgrounds.
1: So you both spoke a little bit to the makeup of not just being an elite medical school, but I think, you know, the, the characteristic makeup of the student body at a lot of medical schools, which is that students um, come from elite universities, uh, their their parents have doctoral degrees. During your interview day experience, being FGLI... And, and being around applicants from these schools who may be coming from backgrounds of privilege, um, did you have any feelings of intimidation? How did you overcome them on your interview day? And if, yeah, you could speak to that a little bit and how being FGLI just impacted your interview experience in general.
4: So, I, yeah, I think the experience of being first-gen, low-income is rather intimidating when you get to this interview process. Actually, I recall on my interview at, here at Penn, um, I was sitting at breakfast with um, other people and we're just getting to know each other who are interviewing that day. And one of them kind of revealed rather quickly that um, he may or may not be the, the son of an ambassador in some, of some country and grew up outside of the United States. And <laughs> um, all I could think about is how my, you know, my, my dad sells tires um, and my mom was like, was trying to help it was like a secretary. And I don't know how like to compare our experiences Um and I think the hardest part is kind of like relating in experiences to some of the things that other people have done. What I consider a vacation might be very different than what other people consider mm-hmm. a vacation or a big trip per se. Um, so I think that part kind of felt uh, difficult when trying to align yourself with other applicants on an interview day. I guess, nonetheless, I was like really proud of like how far I've come if I was sitting at the same table with somebody of that caliber or somebody with th- those kind of experiences. And I think um, ultimately, um, the admissions committee um, also recognized the importance of that, which I'm truly grateful for.
0: I feel like that was my entire undergrad experience. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you're Hill. <laughs> and that was crazy <laughs> that you also had that experience.
2: Michael, I wanted to ask. Uh, so you said that you found it hard to relate to the students who were interviewing. Was it hard to relate to your interviewers? And was that a challenge for you when interviewing?
4: Yeah, I think I my experience actually with student interviewers was was a bit different. We were mostly talking about things that were interested in medicine um, or getting or like how they've adapted to the city. Um, we, at least it was in my experience that we would get into conversations about like what it was for me growing up versus what they were what their life was mm-hmm. growing up. Um, I feel like maybe I got into that kind of conversation, but more as my faculty interviewers. Um, and um, I was like fortunate enough to have um, a faculty interviewer here at Penn who was uh, actually really similar to, or had similar experiences to what I had growing up. And I think um, it made the world of difference for when I was choosing medical schools, where I felt comfortable and where I wanted to attend.
0: That's really interesting that you say that, because my interviewer at Penn also went to a high school near mine. She was originally from Pennsylvania, but Her dad like moved and went to a high school near mine. And I thought that was really interesting. And I kind of wondered if like after reading my application, they kind of like found that person to have that common experience with me because it definitely made the interview go way smoother. Just having that like commonality and like having my interviewer understand like where I was from was really helpful.
3: I actually had a similar experience in that my interviewer was Dr. Bobby Walla. Who is Whoa. yeah at Penn? Yeah, our who's our current you know um, FGLI faculty advisor. So we were able to hit it off on those common experiences as well. So on interview day, I think it was my first time realizing that being FGLI was an underrepresented status and that it was um, so uncommon in the medical field. Um, and I definitely was intimidated by the educational background and. Familial connections of the people that I was interviewing with, Uh, but I also took that as um, kind of an opportunity to be really proud of how far I've come with the different background that I had, and I I kind of owned that. That was something that made me different, because I think a a big, like something that's always you want to do on interview day is like stand out and be special and be memorable compared to some of the other applicants, maybe. Uh, So I kind of just told myself that that's what was happening, and I was just gonna own that identity. And, you know, market it as something that uh, my interviewers could view as indicating like having a strong work ethic or, you know.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I think that's also kind of the approach that I tried to take in my medical school ad- admissions process. And just seeing it like, yeah, this is the thing that makes me different. And this is like why you should invest your time in me. Mm-hmm. So I do like that approach for
3: sure. Yeah, definitely. And I see. I think that's pretty important for all underrepresented identities to Really own that that is something that makes you um, a better candidate and not be embarrassed of it or afraid that it's going to make you less desirable. This confidence with your identity did
2: it take a long time to cultivate? Like, this part of my background is making me a stronger candidate or like a qualified candidate for medical school.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a great question um, that I've never really thought about, but I, I think it actually happened during interviews for medical school um, and receiving feedback from my interviewers who had read my application and them saying things like, oh, you've come a long way, you mm-hmm. you know have been resilient through a lot of experiences. And that uh, kind of empowered me to like bring it to the next interview. And then it was just kind of a compounding effect.
4: Yeah, I agree with Cheyenne um, that it's it was kind of like the this self-fulfilling prophecy of like you're not getting interviews and you're like, kind of take that as a affirmation of like everything that you've done or like who you are is like a kind of important or like something that schools are looking for. And then you get the, the acceptances and you kind of start to feel confident in, in what your story or what your life has kind of been like.
0: So I guess now that you're both in medical school and have had some time to reflect on the entire application process and have been involved with some of the interviews of other students and stuff like that, as many Penn students often get involved with, how do you think that FGLI students can stand out in their interviews, maybe even beyond just their identity of being FGLI? I guess you could also maybe share some examples of like what to do versus what not to do in terms of trying to stand
3: out and like have that identity be known. Yeah I guess something that um, this isn't necessarily in the interview but on the interview day that I always take note of and um, when I see applicants do this I'm like oh I would want to be in class with that person even if I'm not the person interviewing them is being like kind to the other applicants and being um, respectful to everybody who they interact with, and I guess an example of that is um, our really we have really great um, environmental services workers at the medical school. Um, There's just like two really lovely women who know all like most students by name. Um, And seeing applicants be, you know, polite to them and thanking them for, you know, the important work they do. um, Things like that, that kind of just show an appreciation for other human beings who they're going to be interacting with, I think goes a really long way on interviews. Um, I'd say a second thing, and this just might be a personal uh, opinion, because I've definitely heard dissenting thoughts about this, is like, I think writing a really nice thank you note after an interview can be really well received and, um, help to kind of solidify the interviewer's memory of that student. And conversely, like it's never going to hurt sending it, sending a thank you note never prevented someone from getting into medical school.
4: Yeah. I'll second those. I think, you know, like everybody is looking for people that are going to be collaborative and helpful to their classmates. Um, and partially, it's because medicine is such a collaborative uh, field uh, where we rely on so many people to be able to care for patients. So I, those are all good characteristics that we that um, you want to exemplify on your interview day. But I think kind of more to the point about the FGLI identity, um, I think it it kind of has to tie into what your motivations are to do in medicine, and I think that's when it's done the most well. You know how you've already thought about. Um, this identity or these experiences that you've had and how they might be motivating you to do certain things in a career in medicine. I think that being honest and being open about the, some of those experiences that you might've already talked about in your, in your personal statement and kind of just reemphasizing is okay. Um, Cause it just shows that, you know, this was very important to you. Um, but I w- you know, would not try to like just memorize your application and reread that the interviewer actually already read your application ideally. So um, you really kind of just want to expand upon some of those experiences. Um, and the other things that you uh, that you want to do is be courteous to the interviewer and to people around you. I personally like the idea of thinking you know to either the people that you're, that are writing your letters or recommendation or the people that um, you know stood out to you on your interview day, including your interviewers. Um, I always say that all, all these things can maybe help, uh, but they definitely don't hurt.
3: Yeah I- Totally agree with um, all your points, Michael, and um, just want to echo your point about being prepared to highlight your FGLI status in your interview answers and uh, highlighting why those experiences will make you a better doctor. Um, And, you know, maybe if you had any kind of struggle in your path to applying to medical school, highlighting highlighting those struggles is also perfectly acceptable for an interview, but um, I think for all of these things that you're going to be talking about, definitely practice how you're going to say um, the sentence that is describing what you're trying to come up, uh, you know, deliver in your interview. Like practicing it, if you can do a mock interview, practice describing any of these, you know, more sensitive or deep topics um and just get feedback on how that comes across i think is really important before um about these things in an interview
1: i think those are some really great tips for people who are applying right now and even future applicants i think you know something i always think about is what qualities would you want in your position or what qualities would you want in someone who's taking care of you also, Cheyenne, you were saying, you know, practice how you're going to respond to some of these questions and take the time to reflect on your experiences. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like how you guys both prepared for your interviews ahead of time and what that looked like?
4: Yeah. So like my interview prep actually was, I would do it on the plane ride to somewhere or like the night before, like I would go to an interview um, and a lot of my prep was, Um, looking or learning more about the school since I probably hadn't uh, read about them in in a couple months uh, between applying and getting an interview. Um, And so what I was trying to do is really see what priorities the medical school has or initiatives that I think resonate well with me and are things that I want to talk about or learn more about during my interview day. Um, And uh, the other part of it is, of course, like, kind of looking back at your application and your secondary and things that you write, you might have already mentioned, uh, which are, will inform some of the, the questions that may be asked of you. Um, I think that questions that you should always be prepared for and, and be ready to answer are why medicine, why this school? Um, and I don't think you need to give a crazy unique answer. I think you just need to show that you're committed um, to a career in medicine and committed to potentially attending that school. Um for a, for a good reason. Um, I, that is really what you're trying to convey in that interview that you know that you would be a good fit for medicine and a good fit for that school.
3: Yeah, definitely. Those are why medicine and why the school are the two that you have to you know have have down pat um, I'll I'll also add that I would be I would look up this the interview instructions, like the email that the school sent me about their interview day and just like be familiar with what my day was gonna look like. Um, and most important about that is knowing if you're going to be doing one-on-one interviews or um, a group interview or a multiple um, mini interview, um, just so that you're kind of ready to tailor your answers based on what the setting is going to be, and then some schools actually have blinded interviews where they haven't seen your application beforehand, Um, so in those cases, I'd be prepared to just you know have a short spiel about what your application does say if they had been able to read it and then in terms of content to talk about for the interviews yes all the things michael said um, rereading my rereading my personal statement rereading my application learning more about the school Um, and then i also started reading just like current events and reading a couple like news headlines on the way to the interview because uh, i had a lot of interviewers ask me oh you know I interviewed, let's see, I interviewed in 2016. So I had a lot of interviewers ask me, what do you think about the opioid crisis? Um, And these are things that I, quite frankly, was not informed about unless, would not have been informed about unless I had just been like keeping up with current events.
0: That's something I also did a lot of. So when I was preparing for my interviews, I was actually in Australia doing like research. So I had a lot of downtime, to be honest. And I would just sit there and read current events and like try to get into like the New York times and stuff. And I really hate the newspaper, but I was just trying to get into all kinds of things to try just to like basically inform myself. And then I also knew coming with like, with a global health background, I really prepared a lot for the questions about like the thoughts on our like medical system in the U S and I was super nervous for all of those questions. Cause I was like, yes, I'm a global health major, but like, no, I don't have any super strong opinions myself. Like It really just means I know a lot of different medical systems and like the pros and cons of all of them, I guess. But yeah, that was something I really spent a lot of time doing. And I basically just had like this huge document of all the questions I came across and things that I thought were interesting in the news, I guess, that I could like talk about if I needed to. But I definitely didn't get asked all of those things, but it definitely helped as well.
3: Yeah, I can imagine that just having that list made you feel more confident going in and you were like, I'm, I'm ready. So I'm sure yeah. that's a it.
2: <laughs> Michael and Cheyenne, I wanted to ask who helped you prepare if there was anyone? Because I know like as for being first gen, you don't have um, someone who knows about the interview process. Um, so was there anyone who helped you? And then it, how did you learn how to interview and what are some resources that you used?
3: I did a couple things. So I, yeah, like you mentioned, I, uh, being professional, I didn't really have anybody in my family who knew how medical school interviews worked, but I, um, I went online and I printed off a list of questions that are like, you know, I googled common interviews, questions for medical school. And there was probably some Reddit or student doctor network post that had all these questions. <laughs> Would not recommend doing that, but Um, Yeah, finding like a reliable source of interview questions to prepare, printed it out. And I um, had my partner practice with me. And, you know, he asked me the questions, I practiced delivering it. Um, So that's a way that you can get practice, you know, answering the question in front of a person that doesn't necessarily have to know a ton about medicine. Um, And then the other big thing I did was I recorded myself, like just on my phone, uh, myself talking and answering these questions to make sure that I was, you know, not having a nervous tick or, you know, people do weird things with their hands when they're nervous, their feet when they're nervous. And so just kind of nipping those in the bud before it became an issue in an in-person interview.
4: Yeah, I I agree a lot with what Ashai is saying. Uh, we keep agreeing with each other. <laughs> um, I, I think that's just uh, a good thing. I guess that, that a lot of things worked for the, the both. The same things worked for the both of us. But um, I, I'm a big fan of like the of what I call near peer mentors. So like I had a couple friends in the year ahead of me that I took some college classes with who had started their first year of medical school. And I remember reaching out to them to like ask them what their medical school interviews were like and what kind of questions I should prepare for. Um I found that to be like, incredibly helpful. So like trying to network with people in your class, I think, is good and like kind of getting ideas of like what what works for them or what their experience has been like if they're uh, kind of ahead of you in the medical school admission process is always helpful. Um and I actually kind of still do this and help out with a lot of friends and do like mock interviews over FaceTime pre-COVID actually, um, to just kind of walk them through like what a student interview would feel like. And also to kind of give them any feedback on any weird ticks or hand movements or things like that that interviewers would pick up on or that might be distracting to from what they're actually saying, uh, which might be noticeable during this podcast. But uh, I can improvise and ramble quite a bit. So um, I always tried to make sure and practice the points that I want to get across to make sure that I was able to make my point, just make sure that I felt comfortable during the conversation. So that's what I was. Would try to do when I would when I would record myself or just go over answers.
0: So you bring up a really good point about just making sure there's no nervous ticks. And then, Michael, you mentioned COVID, <laughs> so we know that a lot of interviews are going to be happening through Skype, Zoom, however you want to say it, uh, what it, be it virtually, I guess. But have you done any interviews? yourselves, I guess not for medical school admissions, but have you had any experience interviewing over or a virtual format and things that maybe applicants want to be mindful of in this new format that you can think of right now?
4: Yeah. So I think that there's actually a lot of um, things that are important to like interviews over Zoom versus in person. Um, And when we talk about patients, we actually say uh, like, you know, it's, it's very important to have a good bedside manner and I think for Zoom now and some of these telehealth appointments, uh, there's this new word that's being used called website manner. I feel like it could be applicable to um, to interviews. And a couple of the things is you know, and I think it might we might struggle with for a first gen or low income, but like having a good internet connection is going to be important. So like going to like. A, coffee shop or part of the library if we can go back to libraries um, is going to be really important so you can have that good connection internet connection and the other thing is uh, making sure to look at the camera on your computer versus the screen so that way that it looks like you're talking directly to that person it's It's very hard hard. (laughs) it's so hard and I think you know just being cognizant of the microphone and the technology issues we're all going to be dealing with it the other thing is like having like good lighting in the room that you're in if possible um, if uh, within your control is, is like also good. Uh, I'm not by far by any means the expert in this, uh, but those are just some other things that I've picked up in those first few months of COVID.
2: We wanted to know if there were any heartwarming memories that stood out to you during interview season, any funny stories that you can share with us?
4: I'm not sure if about this one would be heartwarming, but it was definitely funny. It was my first Ivy League school that I was interviewing at. And I was so nervous for this interview. Um, and I I guess I misread the time. So I got there an hour early and had to sit with the security guard until the admissions people like came to the building because it was just so early in the morning. And then I, like, I think it threw me off for the rest of the day. And actually, when I sat down with my faculty interviewer, she had started going through the normal questions that I expected, you know, why are you interested in medicine, what were you, tell me more about this activity, et cetera, et cetera. And at one point in the interview, she asked me, you know, um, I like fast forward a bit and, you know, if you were to win a Nobel Peace Prize, what would it be for? And to that point in my life, I, <laughs> I had not considered uh, winning a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> um, and I remember just rambling <laughs> for a good 30 seconds while I was trying to uh, buy time to find a good reason to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I can say three years later, I still don't think I know how to answer that question. Unfortunately for me, she followed up that question by asking me um, to kind of uh, dictate my eulogy if I was like looking back on what my life would would have been like. And that was also a um, kind of concerning question because I had not really thought about my life um, four years ahead. I was kind of focused on just trying to get into a medical school at that point. Um, so I guess, um, now I think a bit more about, like, these, like, out-of-the-box questions. <laughs> Those are hard questions.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Michael, I feel like I had a similar experience at, uh, uh, maybe the same other Ivy League school in terms of, like, having to get there early and win with the security guard. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if we were duped. <laughs> <laughs> See, back, you right there on the same day. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's actually a great point of of a great thing to know about interviews is like you'll meet your future classmates and you meet like a lot of really great other medical students who, even if they don't go to the same school as you, like you stay in touch and they're your connection at other schools. So that's something to, that's definitely really positive about interviews. I say one interesting interview experience I had was my interview was the day after a very important election. And I was interviewing on the West Coast in a more progressive school. And so the interview questions I got were just like, you know, totally, uh, they, they, I felt so set up. There was an MMI room that was like, talk about an important social justice issue. <laughs> and like the next room was like, talk about what the characteristics of a good leader are. <laughs> And oh. the whole interview, I was just like, I was like, this is a trap, they are trying cause, you know, you're supposed to be very apolitical in interviews. Yeah. I was like, this is a trap. And and as I progressed through the rooms, I just got more and more uh, unfiltered. But <laughs> I kept getting in, so they must have agreed with me. But that was definitely an interesting interview day.
4: I got to say some of the, like the, like what might feel like more ridiculous or embarrassing experiences sometimes uh, tend to be like really uh, like heartwarming. And sometimes um, like the interviewers will reflect on that and like, you know, like you for your, like your human characteristic. So definitely sometimes there's positives out of uh, these experiences.
3: At least you guys got there an hour early instead of an hour late. (laughs) Yeah, definitely pay attention to the time zones because I, (laughs) We got caught a couple of times like oh wait, I do not have nearly as much time as I thought. Triple check what time you're supposed to be places. <laughs> like I didn't realize that Chicago was in central time zone. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed it was Eastern. I wouldn't have known that, honestly. I would never even
0: think about it. So I also really liked how you talked about just meeting other people on the trail because like not only will you meet like your future classmates at the school that you're interviewing at, but I also go to school with like, or at least two or three people at Penn that I interviewed with like at other schools and did mm-hmm. not interview with at Penn. So I really, I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed meeting other people from my undergrad that were interviewing, but like had taken a back So we never like crossed or things like that. And I, I loved that about interviewing. I thought that was really coming from like a public high school and stuff that many people didn't go to to college outside of New Jersey. I thought that was super interesting and fun and I just that was like my first time experiencing that kind of networking that yeah. really I just enjoyed and I'm looking forward to for like the rest of my medical career, I think.
4: Yeah, and I think it definitely like the role gets a lot smaller the like the further you get in medicine and like, you know, I've had a couple conversations with um with people who just graduated about um residency interviews and um i mean now that we're like being siphoned into into specialties um there's even less people like that are going into each one so like you run into those people um apparently pretty often in residency interviews um so it'll be interesting to see and kind of like continue to network with people who end up at other residencies um it's definitely uh, a small world this here in medicine
0: Yeah, I can't. I know like people say things now of just like in different interest groups, specialty interest groups that you join. Like it's really hard to imagine now, like as an MS1 going on MS2, I guess when people are like, oh my gosh, maybe you guys will see each other like again later when you're on the residency, like interviewing trail. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like we don't even know if we're going to be pursuing this specialty later on. But I think you're right. Like I think that you do meet a lot of the same people over and over again. And that's just just wild to me, I guess. (laughs) But, um, so I guess wrapping up before we go, I would really just like to hear each of you say one piece of advice that you wish you could go back in time and give yourself if you were interviewing this upcoming year.
4: My biggest piece of advice is to think about a fun fact um, that you can reliably share at each interview because they will always ask you for a fun fact. It is so ubiquitous. Um, and I mean, I remember like always feeling like I was put on the spot uh, about when I asked the fun fact when I could have just kind of planned for that. Um, and the other thing I'd say is that, you know, as much as we've talked about how best to prepare, um, there is kind of that feeling that you might have overprepared if your answers seem too scripted. And I think people are always generally looking for the ability for you to carry a conversation when interviewing. Um, so while it's good to like have like responses to some of these um, more common questions, um, I would always, you know, kind of make sure to balance the preparedness and the ability to carry the conversation and let the conversation flow naturally. You know, don't feel like you need to stick to the points that you want to get across if the conversation's going well and you're, you know, enjoying or talking about certain hobbies that you might have of, of similar interest with that interviewer.
3: Yeah, that's a great point, Michael. I definitely thought that interviews were going to be a lot more like formal and structured and was thrown off when people would be like, so how about those local sports team or whatever? And I I, I always felt like I was caught with my pants down. Right? I never knew how to interact with these really important people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd say my pieces of advice are um, – if I haven't already mailed at home, always write the thank you letter. Like sometimes you'll be really tired and think like, ah, you know, um, do I really need to? Yes, just write the thank you letter um, and do it like within 24 hours of finishing your interview because those are the ones that that really help you be memorable to your interviewers. Um, and the other part of that is a lot of them have not yet written up how your interview went. Mm-hmm. So if you've written the thank you letter before they've reported back on you. It <laughs> helps boost you know, your impression on them. Uh, and then I'd say something else I'd tell myself is, like, don't feel like you can't communicate with the school between your interview day and the, the decision. I think I thought that, like, you interview and then you sit and twiddle your thumbs for, like, sometimes six months to, to wait to hear back. Um, and I now know just from being on the other side that people send updates, people are, you know, staying in mm-hmm. contact with members from financial aid, um, they're they're being very proactive about communicating with schools while they're awaiting their decision, and, and that can really only help you. So, yeah, don't feel like you um, you can't reach out and stay in contact with people. Plus, staying in contact with them might end up helping you down the road when they're trying to make, when they're trying to come to a final decision.
0: Did you usually send email thank yous, or how did you do that?
3: I started out sending uh, hard copy thank yous, but then I realized that uh, the turnaround, like they weren't, they wouldn't have gotten it until probably, you know, several days later. Yes. Uh, and then they, they're, you're sending a thank you note mailed to a university. So it's probably spending a couple days just like in the university mailroom waiting to get to the, the interviewer's office. But yeah, I, I thought that that would be more formal, but then I just converted to email thank yous. And now that I'm an interviewer, I realize that email thank yous are far superior because I, like, I have gotten paper thank yous several weeks after <laughs> I interviewed people and like, I've already you know, written up their thing. So I would like, say always go with the email and do it like, if you can, do it on your way home from that interview. So that evening, sending a thank you letter, not too early. That's good. Yeah. I think I also eventually converted
0: just to all emails, but mostly I would ask people like, what's the best way for me to send a follow-up and they would give me their email. So that was very helpful to ask during the interview. I guess my other question is what kind of updates do people send? I guess if you like, don't really have like an update to like your GPA or like an extra letter to add, cause I've heard of those things before, but I never really felt like I had any updates to give.
3: I think even sending a it doesn't need to be like a formal letter. Um, like if you're updating on like your GPA or a paper or something, um, those should be formal letters. But I think even just emailing and being like, um, I just want to let you know that I'm still very strongly interested in this program. I've just completed all of my interviews and, um, this program is at the very top of my list. And, um, I would be you know, honored to be able to be considered here, just like something like that, to the admissions office. Um, they, maybe they'll read it, but I mean, sorry, maybe they won't read it, but if they do, it can only help you. Um, and in contrast, when you're applying to residency, that this is like strictly forbidden, you can't, you can't communicate with programs uh, for the match. So I would say definitely use it for medical school if you, mm-hmm. while you can.
1: Well, thank you guys so much I just want to say it was absolutely incredible having you guys on the show you shared some amazing tips and stories that hopefully our listeners will find useful during their time um, this application season uh, and I think just the fact that we were able to relate to a lot of what you said um, despite all applying during different um, seasons uh, speaks to how you know some some things just don't change um, like some of the overarching messages being kind to your fellow applicants, to your interviewers, to everyone around you, you know, knowing about current events, um, knowing about the school that you're applying to, sending that thank you letter, following up um, after, if you can, uh, maybe knowing what your eulogy would be (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in the case of Michael, (laughs) but just, yeah, I I think those were some really incredible points. So thank you guys so much again for being on the show
4: yeah thank you for having us um uh it was really nice to kind of like share some of our experiences and uh hopefully it helps and best of luck to all the listeners on their journey it really is difficult but um we're hopeful that you guys will get to make it too
3: yeah thank you so much uh cecilia nitra and michaela uh, it's been a great honor to have been able to share and um to all the fdli listeners, um, You're going to do great. Just remember that your experiences are exceptional and best of luck on this path.
0: Thank you so much to all of our listeners. If you've been enjoying MedLikes so far, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at underscore MedLikes and tell your friends about us. Also, if you're looking to keep the conversation going with us or even with other listeners just like you, join our official Facebook group titled MedLikes Podcast or reach out to us with questions, suggestions, and overall feedback about how the podcast has been going so far by emailing us at medlegspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you here next time with us on MedLegs. Thank you to Penn Health X and the Prominent School of Medicine Medical Student Government for sponsoring this episode of MedLegs. We'd like our listeners to know that while we are PennMed students and leaders of the PennMed FGLI student group, formerly known as Lift Us Up, as some of our guests may refer to it, our ideas are our own. We do not speak for the Proven School of Medicine, nor do we pretend that we represent every student's experience at our school. Thank you.